Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Dude, it's chilly out there. It's a little cold. Yesterday was lovely. It feels like a warm up, though, from what we had last week, right? Well, it's pretty cold out there, and the wind's blowing, and uh, I had my. Uh, had my Russian hat on this morning. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. In honor of Vlad? Yeah, no, just in honor of it's cold. Yeah. So, so it's not, not something you wear for uh, fashion sense. No, no. You wear for no I didn't wear it inside, but I yeah. wore it outside. And, and, you know, they say when you're bald, uh-huh. you know, you lose like some huge heat. percentage of your body heat out of your head yeah. uh, when it's cold out there. So uh, having that uh, warm, toasty hat is always a plus. Do you have your uh, long underwear on? I do. I did it's know a little that personal you, question. Michael. Well, you're a long underwear wearer. Anybody who's listened to the Hancock and Kelly show knows. I like you my long johns. Yeah. Ever since I was a little guy, um, the Lord blessed me with some really skinny legs, and uh, so they get cold in a hurry yeah. out there. And so, yeah, I'm, where, I'm all bundled up. Where are you at on bow ties? Are you a bow tie fan or a not a bow tie? No, fan? I like them. Uh, I Can like them a lot. It? Well, yeah. So there's this, there's this tutorial on YouTube. Okay. So we were at a wedding. Um, one of George Hans' cousins in that lives in uh, L.A. was getting married. I don't know, it was four or five years ago, and it was a black Swanky tie deal. Wedding. Yeah. Uh huh. So. Uh, I'm under the gun. I know I've got to get this bow tie tied uh-huh. before the wedding. So about two hours before we needed to be there, I get out the two this British guy, great guy. And he, Plus you take the rabbit and yeah. put it through the hole. Well, yeah, he's yeah. telling me all this stuff about you do this, and you tuck that <laughs> under, and you stick your thumb over here. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. But I made it. I got it done, and it didn't look bad. I have never been able to tie one. I had a, 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 a gal pal of mine that, that tied it for me one time. Uh, and I've done the tutorials, et cetera, and I can't pull it off, but it's one Surely of those things. you've had more than one girl that's tied a bow tie No, only one. But yeah. I wish that I knew how to tie a bow tie. Well, Got... it's easily done, Michael. You yeah. just get the tutorial out there on the YouTube. One of my neighbors, I see him every day. I say hello to him. He never says hi back to me. Um, he just looks at me. Does he wear a bow tie? But he wears a bow tie. Oh, all And right. so, like, this morning I said to him on the way, I said, I love the bow tie. And he never looked up from his phone and never said blah, 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 just kept on walking. And I was like, well, maybe Rude. the guy's deaf. Rude. But yeah, because I always say hello to him. Um, I'm not a loud neighbor. I keep to myself, but yeah. I, I, I'm personable and sociable well, in the, building in the hallway. There, right? You want to say hello. Yeah, people Isn't in that rude? elevator? That is very rude. Yeah, and I don't know how to deal with it because I, I like when Doug got a compliment. Hey, nice bow tie. And then I was thinking, I can't tie, tie a bow tie. And I thought... I'll make myself feel better because Hancock can't tie one either, oh, no. and now you can. I can. I mean, it's yeah. it's not. It's often not done on the first attempt. You yeah. just got to hang in there with it. Yeah, got to be patient. You got to be. But you got to persevere through the pain, Michael. I have a friend of mine who says, "Never trust a man in a bow tie." Why? I don't know, Barney. He always says to me, "Never trust a man in a bow tie." Every time we see him, he goes, "Never trust a man in a bow tie." And oh. I said, "What's that all about?" He goes, "I don't know. It's an expression." Never all of my, um, all of my former bow ties were clip-ons, yeah. you know, or the the kind that wrap around and you latch on, you know. At uh-huh. the, oh yeah. Well, there's nothing and, better than that, right? Because you're yeah. done. Yeah. But apparently, that's frowned upon when you're dressing up. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You you can't do. You, you look like a child. You know, look like you're going to your first communion or you know your high school graduation. The voice of St. Louis news that matters to you. KMOX. And welcome 
Welcome back to the Mighty Mox. It's Hancock and Kelly. You're going to want to stick around after the top of the hour. We're going to be visiting with Bob Clark, who's the executive chairman and founder of Clayco. John Hancock, he was going to, he wanted to move one of his businesses yeah. into the city on a piece of property that has been vacant and not generating money for over three decades. Wow, that's a great deal. Yeah. Guess what the city said? What's that? Come on in. Nothing. Said. We're not interested. Move along. So we'll visit with Bob Clark about this. The oh. incompetence in the city just continues. That's... And hey, speaking of uh, nuttiness, we've got the primary about to take place in New Hampshire. As we discussed, the Democrats are not participating, or at least the president's not participating. Some of the other well, uh, no, Kennedy. No and, delegates at stake yeah, for the exactly. Democrats there. But the Republicans are doing it, and I guess we could call this Nikki Haley's last stand because Nikki Haley is really trying to make herself relevant in this race. Ron DeSantis kind of fizzled in Iowa. Nikki Haley hoping for a good um, showing that she can kind of be that alternative to Trump. She's made the case this week that, number one, Donald Trump would be pardoned in a Haley administration, that putting a former president in jail is not a good thing. At the same time, she reiterated as a minority that uh, America is not a racist country. And she topped it all off, John, by saying that um, it's time for the Republican Party to move on from the chaos of Donald Trump. Will they? No, I don't think so. Um, she did not perform... You know, she could have had a surprise in Iowa, but she didn't. You know, the one thing about Iowa that I think was really interesting and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, you know, polling takes such a bum rap these days. Right. The polling in Iowa was remarkably spot on. Right. I mean, they had Haley and DeSantis within a point of each other. They had Trump at just north of 50 percent, and that's precisely what happened in Iowa with the caucuses. And caucuses are even more difficult to poll than elections. So, uh, you know, kudos to the pollsters there. And I have not seen anything uh, lately. My suspicion is that Haley had closed that gap to within 10 points in New Hampshire. Uh, and I haven't seen recent polling data, but I would wager that uh, Trump is probably back over 10 points ahead there, uh, given just the lack of momentum coming out of Iowa. But we'll see. I. I will be very shocked if Trump does not win comfortably the New Hampshire primary. If he wins comfortably, John, uh, how much longer do uh, Nikki Haley and uh, Ron DeSantis stick around? Of course, we know campaigns don't end. They run out of money. Right. Uh, is that going to happen? Yeah, I think that's right. And you're already seeing some donors uh, sit back and, and take a you know deep breath and wait and see how this plays out. And I, they could— both of them survive on to South Carolina. But here's the problem for Haley. All the polling in South Carolina right now indicates that Trump's going to beat her in her home state. Now, if you get to that point and you're Nikki Haley, you're done at that point. Right. If you're not done after New Hampshire, she I could I could see a scenario where she suspends her campaign sometime next week uh, and doesn't go through what would what would be a somewhat humiliating defeat in South Carolina. The other the other problem Haley would have in South Carolina is that the Democratic primary there is at the first of the month and the Republican primary in South Carolina is at the end of the month. And that means that any of these independents that Haley might be counting on to um, support her in her home state, a lot of them are probably going to vote in the Democratic primary early and they can't vote in both. So you take some of that off the table, the just the structural impediments that she has. 
And, you know, if she manages to survive into South Carolina, I think that's the end. I think it's the end for DeSantis as well. There you go. Uh, looks like it's going to be a rematch of uh, a world we've already lived through. Two uh, very old people running against each other to be president of the United States. One of those old people is the former president of the United States. He was the 45th president of the United States, John. He seems very, very nervous these days, spending a lot of time on whatever the name of his social media is. Last night, he went in all caps to say, presidents deserve 100% total immunity. Now, you'll remember the argument. His uh, lawyer from Missouri, from Mm -hmm. Missouri, made the argument for the courts that um, the president of the United States could, in fact, order the assassination of one of their uh, opponents and that this would be they would be immune from prosecution. Uh it was a completely nutty argument. At the same time, Donald Trump essentially mitted last night by saying even for things that people have crossed the line on. So it seems like he's starting to say, yeah, I realize I violated the law, but I deserve complete and total immunity. Does he feel that way about Joe Biden? Is this a, even a salient argument, or is this just nuttiness? Well, I think I think a total immunity argument is, you know, not going to prevail. And what they should be arguing, and I'm not convinced that that Trump has surrounded himself with the best attorneys uh, in these multiple number of cases. But the argument that they should make is that there are things that for which the president, in his official capacity, should be immune from criminal prosecution. That point is right. The question, of course, is where the line is between that which is acceptable immunity for a sitting president and that which is not. And common sense would tell you that there's some line at which you can't cross and avert being prosecuted for it. Richard Nixon was going to be prosecuted for the cover-up in Watergate until he was pardoned by Gerald Ford. So... I just don't see a constitutional basis for Donald Trump to prevail here at the court of appeals level. I don't think this. I think the Supreme Court will. If if this is their argument, they're going to lose nine zero at the Supreme Court. Ultimately. All right. Let's uh, just a hypothetical. Could be a bit unfair, but let's hypothetically say the former president of the United States doesn't win. Uh, he loses this next election. Does the next, the rest of Donald Trump's life look like a guy who's just going in and out of court? dealing with this for a, potentially the rest of his life? I don't know. Uh, I don't know how that's going to look. And, you know, you've got the the immunity claim right now is delaying the January 6th case in Washington, D.C. So that case, though, could get back. You know, it's got a trial date scheduled to start in early March. That's not going to happen at, at this point. But it's likely to start sometime in the spring or or at the latest early summer. So that case is likely to be wound up and adjudicated and done. Now, if he's found guilty, he'll appeal it. So that's going to be interesting. The case that I think he's got the most liability on is the documents case in Mar-a-Lago. Nobody's talking about that anymore. Yeah, but that's the one that the judge has really given them most of the deference to uh, Donald Trump and his legal team. Well, and she certainly um, slow-walked the the case. There's no doubt there. But, I mean, if you just look at the statute and what occurred, you know, I don't know that there's an argument, a, a good one anyway, uh, as to why he was entitled to have those documents, the, the a thousand classified documents uh, in his private residence. I mean, there's just no. 
Many people on my side of the aisle think that Donald Trump is ruining the institution of the presidency with these arguments. But one of the other institutions that's not being ruined by an individual but seems to be the whole party, and that's the Republican Party, John. Wow, Speaker Johnson, who was brought in to relieve Kevin McCarthy because, you know, he wasn't strong enough. He cooperated with the Democrats. He helped pass continuing resolutions. Guess what they did yesterday? They passed a continuing resolution. They passed resolution. a continuing resolution in cooperation with the Democrats to avoid shutting down the government yet again. They've kicked the can down the road, but now doesn't Mike Johnson find himself in the same spot that Kevin McCarthy was in? Well, we'll see. Uh, McCarthy was the beneficiary, I guess you could say, of some really bad personal blood between himself and Matt Gates. That doesn't exist on, a, on that kind of raw personal level with Mike Johnson and any member of, of, of the House. So I don't think they're going to file another motion to vacate the speakership. Heck, it took them, what, four four rounds to, you know, they threw three people, couldn't get it done, and then they, they turned to Mike Johnson. I don't know who's left at this point. So I don't think he's going to be deposed as speaker. But uh, I think what's, you know, what's truly interesting, and it's not just in the U.S. Congress, we're seeing it in our own Missouri State Legislature, is that these well, these institutions, these, this legislative institution is really starting to fail. Yeah, but this seems to be specific to the Republican Party, John. Now, we've talked a lot about the extremes in each of our parties that are causing some issues. Progressive fighting with traditional Democrats, uh, traditional Republicans, whatever's left of them fighting with this MAGA group. But both in Washington, D.C. and in Jefferson City now, we are watching... Republicans on Republican crime. We're seeing these Freedom Caucus MAGA types taking on traditional Republicans, uh, really trying to blow up the entire system. The Democrats seem to have better control of their membership in blue states that have surely have these big progressive movements. What's going on inside the Republican Party? Is this just assured destruction of this party? Well, we've got we've got a much bigger insurgent group in terms of numbers, whether that be in Jeff City or in Washington, D.C., than the Democrats do. You've got, you know, if you look at this progressive caucus, what is it, seven, eight, ten members maybe? Uh, on the Republican side, you're looking at 30-plus members, maybe 40 members of the Freedom Caucus. So that And you've got a, what, a two- or three-seat majority for the Republicans in the House. So that's a recipe for trouble. And the Democrats now in the minority, it's a lot easier to hold a caucus together when you're the minority than it is to govern. It just is. And I do think, you know, I think the Democrats are some years behind the Republicans in terms of the, the fracturing of their party. But I predict you're going to start seeing progressive Democrat candidates defeating incumbents or winning open seats in primaries. And that number of progressives, the AOC, the squad, is going to grow in number and influence and clout. And when that happens, I think you guys are going to find yourself in exactly the same seat uh, spot that Republicans do currently. Hopefully we still... Hopefully we still have some institutions that y'all haven't blown up. Hey, before we go real quick here, John, uh, campaign finance reports were due recently. Here in Missouri, we have a Senate race. Josh Hawley, our senior center, good great grief, uh, is up for re-election. He's being uh, challenged by Lucas Kuntz, who's put up a pretty good chunk of change. Obviously, Josh Hawley despised by most people in my party across the country. The money's pouring in. Uh this is going to be a substantive campaign that these two are going to fight because well, they're going to have the resources. Yeah, I mean, Kuntz will be, he'll have the resources. 
Uh, I just I don't see any path that uh, Josh Hawley doesn't win. But yeah, Coons has raised five million bucks and uh, and much of it nationally. We'll see if the hatred of Josh Hawley is translating to Missourians. Polling shows to this point that's not the case. Yep, that's exactly right. When we come back, Bob Clark is going to join us about his latest adventures in the city of St. Louis here on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. You know, John, often in St. Louis, we find ourselves in hopeless situations. You know, we're continuing to watch uh, the, the region kind of spiral, lose population, lose opportunity. Yeah. But what gives me hope is there are good, strong people who are still committed to St. Louis. I think of the old Laughlin's yeah. investing all the money that they're doing here in downtown and in the, uh, in the Westport area. The DeWitts. And this next guest especially. He is the executive chairman and founder of Clayco from right here in St. Louis. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. Mr. Clark, thanks so much for joining us on KMOX today. Hey, Good morning. Good morning, uh, good to be here. Bob, my entire life uh, driving through St. Louis, North St. Louis, I've gone past Goodfellow at Highway 70, yeah. and we've seen yeah. the, the munitions plant sitting there empty. You made a proposal yeah. to relocate jobs that would move into the city of St. Louis, create opportunity, pay the 1% earnings tax. Goodness gracious, I bet they had a parade for you and opened, welcomed you with open arms. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I used to draw. I used to go by that thing. My dad would take us to the St. Louis Cardinal football games when Dick Butkus and Larry Wilson would square off, you know, in the uh, back in the '60s, and drive by that building and always ask my dad, "Daddy, what is that thing?" And he would always tell me, and he always tell me. And then, the, you know, the ammunition plant was this big, giant, barrel-looking building, and so uh, I've known the site my whole life. Been in St. Louis. Uh, my whole life, basically. And, uh, you know, I just don't understand it, but we've got a big concrete operation down on Broadway right now. Our lease is up in a couple of years. We need about 25 acres of land. We have a big operation. We've got at least 50 jobs down there that are high paying. I'm talking 90 to $100,000 a year jobs. These are high paying jobs. And we have, um, you know, the potential of bringing at least 100 or 150 new jobs to the site. And at some point, you know, if we ever decided to make our concrete company independent, we moved our headquarters there. It could be three or 400 jobs. We actually, we actually planned the facility to be able to build 25,000 square feet of office space on the front of it. And the alternative site we're looking at has 20,000 square feet of office space. But we also said in our proposal that we would spend significant amount of money to build a job training center to train people in the neighborhood and people underemployed people from some of the tough communities in St. Louis to move them into the crafts. And this would be about a $5 million investment over and above the uh, warehouse building. And then we would have to build a big shed building for all of our concrete pumps and that sort of thing. It'd be our shop, our fab shop. And we'd keep these job, these 50 jobs in St. Louis because we'd just be moving down the street. And instead, you know, we're essentially going to have to move out. The other sites we have, one is in, in the east, on the east side, which would work fine for us. And we have another one that we're looking at in Hazelwood that would work for Bob, us just fine. They have Bob, when you came there. forward with this proposal to move these jobs, to bring new opportunity to North St. Louis, a place that we all agree desperately needs it, 
What was the reception of the city? Were they willing to sit and work with you, or did they just no. punch you in the face? It, it was more just like a punch in the face. I think, you know, what happened is we we had been inquiring about the site. We've been talking to Neil Richardson, Larry Chapman, some of my other partners. They, no, no, no. You know, poor Contico, you know, they have a site, Bill Miller and the Lester Miller's family. They own a, the building that I have under contract that's adjacent to the site, which is a decrepit old you know, building that can't be used for anything. So that, that building cannot be put into production. So when I saw that, I said, we'll get that under contract, which we have. Then we would buy this, uh, the old arms plant site, put 25 acres together, build a 200,000 square foot, very modern uh, cubes like, you know, modern logistics facility that would be our fab shop and everything. And basically they kept brushing us off. And finally they said, you know, we'll put an RFP out. And they kept saying they wanted retail. We talked to every single retailer. We talked to Pace. We talked to Home Depot. We talked to Target. We talked, and everybody basically is like, listen, there's no demographic. This is part of the problem with the city right now. They do not have a single qualified planning person that really understands urban planning. You know, within my group, I have 350 architects in LJC. We hired Chip Crawford, who's probably the top master planning urban designer in the country. He was at HOK for 26 years. He had a team of 250 people. He's got a team with me of about 35 or 40 professionals. And we're doing master planning all over the United States, all over North America. In fact, even some planning in the Middle East. And, and so any urban planner that really understands the fabric of the community would obviously see there's no way that you would put retail on this site. First of all, it's contaminated. Residential is banned. And I don't see somebody putting, you know, a place there to sell potato chips and groceries that uh, is on a contaminated site. It just doesn't make any sense at all. And it'll always have some low level of contamination. It'll never be cleaned up. It can be a, it can be a manufacturing plant. It can be an industrial warehouse building, as long as it's not food products going through there. But this idea of putting retail there is bad. It's just bad thinking. It's just like poppycock thinking. And the truth is that whole area is, is desolate and it's just a big mess. And until we get some development, we create some jobs, we create a brand new front entrance, we get some traffic going up and down the highway, nobody would even consider putting retail there. So we did a 67-page response. We spent a couple hundred thousand dollars putting our proposal together. I published it. I put it online. It's on our website. People can go there right now and see under the latest section. They can see the entire proposal that we did being totally transparent. And all we got was a short letter back, which I also published on LinkedIn that basically said, you know, your, your proposal doesn't check the boxes. So, so I just put it to the public and everybody else, take a look at our proposal and see which boxes it didn't check. Well, that was going to be, back, yeah, that was going to be my question. Backed out of the olive, our olive street, our olive market project target backed out at olive street and highway 170 because of the potential, um, I forget what shrinkage that they, they think they would have at the store there. So we're just, until we stop, make St. Louis safer, get the crime under control, create economic development for these people in these neighborhoods and create jobs, which Clayco has been doing for 40 years. 
we're not going to we're we're not ever going to have retail in this area. I think there are other areas that are more appropriate for that. And so I just think you have a you have a you have a a planning group that doesn't understand planning and urban communities. And so that's part of the disconnect. But I think this is just political. Honestly, this doesn't have anything to do with with anything except bad politics, which I call St. Louis uh, the city of missed opportunities. Well, we, we're a city is, that one time just another one. Yeah, we're a city at one time that built the arch. I mean, we can do big things. Oh and because of people like you, we're trying to do big things. Um, Bob, what's going on? Is this just basic incompetence? Is it intentional um, to try yeah, to run I, business out? I kind of think it's fiefdoms. I mean, I think it's I think it's first of all, it's not the political leadership's fault completely. I think for far too long, we had a civic organization that just was dysfunctional. It operated in the shadows. We never knew what their strategic plan was. All the cities that are doing really well across the United States have a strategic plan. But more importantly than that, they have an organization that is broad-based, that is focused on real civic progress, that has the neighborhoods involved. You have to have religious leaders involved. You have to have the black community having seats at the table. You have to, they, everybody has to come together. You have to have your political leaders invited that, that are going to you know, be able to be functional. And you, you have to put a strategic plan together, just like any business that's successful or any community that's successful. You have to have a roadmap. St. Louis does not have a roadmap. And, and what happens because the civic community is really let down the community in general, and I really believe this is a, a first civic problem, it really should be the business community, the major employers, the major, it doesn't even have to be the biggest companies. You know, civic progress was just, if you have 25,000 employees, you're automatically included. What it should be is the movers and shakers that can really make things happen, have the connectivity with the universities. We have so many good things to start with and yet we've lost over 50 major corporations since I started Clayco. 50 major corporations have left the community, sold their businesses, moved out. And I mean, you just can't point to any reason why a new business uh, or you know, some headquarters or some even regional operation for, for a major Fortune 50 company would locate in St. Louis. Why would they do that? What is compelling? Bob Clark is our guest. He's the general chairman of Clayco. He wanted to bring potentially hundreds of jobs and develop an area that had not been developed in over 30 years at Goodfellow and Highway 70 that was shot down by the city of St. Louis. I want to ask you about the politics here, Bob. Uh, you know, was this was this simply the mayor shooting it down? Was it incompetence? Do you is there is there a political undertow going on here? You know, it's the same thing that happened with so many other bad things and bad projects. You know, you look at our convention center, which was a you know blatantly tremendous mistake. Everybody knew it was a mistake. Um, the convention center put a half-cocked project together because they couldn't raise money. They couldn't convince the state to put money in. They, they, you know, they did what St. Louis does. They, they could have torn the dome stadium down, which is just a piece of junk. 
They could have, t- I offered to donate the land at the Bottle District, and they could have built a world-class convention center like Nashville has. Before they pulled the pin, before they started, you know, they could have taken a step back. Costs were going up. COVID was happening. I did a full-page ad in the St. Louis uh, Business Journal to show a master plan that could work, and I spelled out the eight bad things that are going to happen. Interest rates went up. The, uh, so the project is way over budget. They haven't built the whole project, and all they really got for it was a, a, they covered up the loading docks. Yeah. And they cut off the neighborhood to the north even more. So this is, you know, this is on this is on the current administration's watch. They could have stopped this. They could have taken a step back. You know, they gave me an audience. They didn't agree with me. They, you know, they're the boss. They could go and do what they did. The project's going to be hundred and fifty million dollars over budget. I understand that Kitty's going to come back and ask for another bunch of money to finish the project. Totally predictable. They, they're already way over budget. I don't know where they're going to get the money. And this is systemic St. Louis. Well, this and is Bob, the problem. This is this is what happens. Let, and let's without talk without a strategic plan. Yeah, and let's talk to that because you you did mention politics, and there is something. Look, uh, normally I would just chalk this up to an old crazy man, but uh, Sunshine uh, uh, has shown us that he's not, and that would be the mayor's dad who said this about you on Twitter yesterday. Bob Clark is a vulture capitalist. He is also Paul McKee's partner. That alone should permanently disqualify him from ever developing in the city of St. Louis. You're one of the biggest developers yeah, well, in the country. What is going yeah, who on? Cares what, who cares what Vervis Jones thinks or says? Um, you know, what I'd say about that is that, well, you know, first of all, Paul McKee has been, in, you know, vilified tremendously in the city of St. Louis. And I can't really address all of that. I am not partners with Paul McKee in the city. Um, We haven't done any joint ventures down in the city, but I have, I actually have great respect for him. I know people, you know, would disagree, but Paul McKee and I did North Park together 25, you know, 25 years ago, 23 years ago, we started the project, I guess 20 years ago, we bought 550 acres of land from the city We've done everything we said we're going to do. There's 10,000 jobs at North Park right now. We've developed almost the entire property. Clayco is relocating our entire operations to North Park right now. We just broke ground on Performance Food Group, a giant 300,000 square foot facility moving out of the city because, again, you know, kind of a, a messy economic development process. They had a painful, agonizing process actually getting their their uh, incentives and that sort of thing in place, uh, which I didn't experience at all, by the way, when I went through my process in North Park, because, you know, smart people listen to smart ideas. And, you know, the, it, yeah. it really, it's just so frustrating. It is frustrating, we and we're grateful. strategic plan, and we don't have a functional economic development Bob. organization in the community. I am grateful that you're a voice that's standing up and saying the truth. Too often we seem to be, hey, let's do a study and we just continue to go down to Mary Road. And uh, as a result of that, we're going down the drain. He is Bob Clark, kind enough to join us here on KMOX. Don't be a stranger. We'd like to have you back uh, again soon. Yeah, anytime. All Thanks right. That's me. Bob Clark. He's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We'll be back after this on the Mighty Mighty Mox. 
Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference, on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Unbelievable, huh, John? Yeah, I mean, predictable, I suppose, on one level. But you know what's interesting? I think yeah, Bob Clark outlined, obviously, there are political problems in the city, uh, whether that be incompetence or just an aversion to economic development. Whatever is driving that is, is a problem. But he also, I think he castigated the leadership in the business community as well for not well, putting together a cohesive approach to dealing with the growth and development. I mean, here's the thing that's going to bring hundreds of jobs in a depressed area that's been a depressed area for decades. And he's met with, you know... Just a, a brush off, a one well, page brush off. I think you're right. Number one, I think it's incompetence. We have big time problems uh, in the city of St. Louis and for that matter, the St. Louis region. And we don't have big time players out trying to fix it. Now, here's a man who plays on the world stage who's willing to, willing to he actually cares about St. Louis. He's done what everybody well, else from here. hasn't done. He hasn't bolted. He's sticking around. In fact, he's bringing his business back here. And this is he's met with a ball bat upside the head. And it's just. Silly, we don't have big time players. The other issue, John, that I that is uh, just unbelievable to me is why we continue to try to find ways to run people away from opportunity. Uh, you know, Bob Clark is building some of the biggest buildings across the world in the Middle East, where construction is yeah. happening. He knows about convention centers. Why we're turning a blind eye? And like you said, the business community, he took it after them. And what's interesting to me about that is we've done some good things here recently. We've consolidated the business community into one organization, but it's not really representing business. It's trying to go out and be a cheerleader of St. Louis. You can't be a cheerleader of St. Louis made and all this stuff until you fix St. Louis problems. And whether it be bathroom bills in Jefferson City, whether it be ridiculous tax policies that may be trying to be revoked here in the city of St. Louis by doing away with the earnings tax, which will further cripple the region, the business community's staying silent. And in fact, the things they're cheerleading on are failed progressive policies that have already failed in California, Portland, or Chicago that are now being brought to St. Louis as some new creative thought process that failed once and are failing again. And rather than our business community being the face of saying, no, this is what we need to do, we have our business leader here in the city of St. Louis saying, yes, it's so great that the Titanic is sinking. Well, the worst job in football is being a cheerleader on a three-win team. Uh, you got to stand out in the cold. You got to, you know, try and pump up. And the team's not any good. And uh, having a cheerleader in a situation like we have with the kind of government that we have is not what we need. We need, uh, we need leaders to step up and say, look, the ma- major, massive changes are needed here. And, and if the government's not getting it done, then it's private industry that's got to do it. Here comes the news. Then we've got Whitney in the city up after this on the Hancock and Kelly Show. Get ready for men's Billikens basketball action tonight as they face VCU. Pre-game 545, tip at 6. Hear the game here on your home for Billikens basketball. King of OX. 
Okay. Hey there, everybody. You're going to want to pull out your cell phone for this next segment because you're going to want to pull up. Unless this, you're driving. Yeah, unless you're driving because you're going to want to pull it out up if you're driving. This young lady's um, uh, social medias. I know her as Whitney in the city. I follow you on Instagram, Whitney, but I understand you're on Facebook as well. And you are a food blogger in the St. Louis area. I am. Yes. I love everything related to food, and St. Louis has the best. So I am so excited to food blog here. We do have some good food here. Uh, so let's let's dig in. So you've been posting this how many years you've been doing this? About eight or nine years. And you are considered an influencer out there because people are going, and, and, and the thousands of people are going to see Whitney in the city and, and your reviews of restaurants and dining and so forth. How many followers do you have? I have about 25,000. That's a lot of followers. <laughs> and so a follower is going to follow, and they're going to see what? They're going to see a lot of food. I, I put out a list every single month of my top five restaurants to try. And then you'll also see a lot more content on different restaurants, what to order, um, which are, you know, reels and just pictures in general of food. And and what you're posting is not exclusive to the city of St. Louis. Many people times people are like, well, I live out here in St. Charles. You do it throughout the entire region. I do. Um, St. Charles, Southern Illinois, Central Illinois, but mostly St. Louis. There's a good mix mixed in, though. So we've tasked you with three things today. One, we wanted to be uh, reminded of something old, learn about something new, and then maybe some cool and interesting stuff. So... Shall we start with the the old? Yeah, I would go love ahead. To. Give it a shot, Whitney. First of all, give also give out your platform name so that people can start to follow you. Thank you. It's Whitney in the City, all together, all one word, um, on Instagram, and then Whitney in the City on Facebook. Perfect. All right, let's do the old one first. So the old one is Natasha's Gin Room, now known as Gin Room. They're celebrating their ten year anniversary, and I don't know if y'all knew this, but. St. Louis is on the map for gin. Did y'all? I had no idea. I've heard about beer here, but uh, not gin. (laughs) We are the gin capital of the United States. We're the gin capital of the United States. Who knew? Right. And all of that is due to Natasha, who owns Natasha's Gin Room. And so they're celebrating their 10-year anniversary this year, and they're doing a bunch of different events. The first event is going to be this upcoming Monday, where they're partnering with Salve Osteria, which is their Italian restaurant, um, and Saigon Cafe, which is in the Central West End. It's going to be one of the coolest pop-ups that we're going to see. I'm super excited about it. Um, but it's a cool way to celebrate their 10-year anniversary. Wow. And so it's going to be food uh, paired with gin, so you can learn a little bit about the uh, the, the gin while enjoying some good food. Saigon Cafe is right across the street from my house. I eat there probably twice a week. Oh, my gosh. It's my favorite. It's yeah. so good. Vietnamese food, Hancock, you'd love it. I, Delicious I'm sure, stuff. I'm sure I would. Uh, you know, I'm very adventurous when it comes to the what, palate, Michael. Right. Well, so what's the name of that again? That's called the Gin Room? The Natasha's. Gin Room. Natasha's Gin Room. All right. So that's happening this week. Let's learn about something new. Telva on the Ridge just opened this week. What's that? It is a coffee shop opened by uh, Lauren Nilich, who is the chef in um, Balkan Treat Box. Oh, wow. I'm a huge fan, and Telva on the Ridge does not disappoint. It's incredible. There's a lot of Balkan-inspired coffees. There's rose water and certain things, but this is the place to be. It's brand new, so expect to wait. Where is it? But um, it's in Webster Groves. Oh, nice. So close to the Balkan Treat Box. 
It is. Yeah, and so Balkan Treat Box, I've yet to be there. Uh, everybody says you have to get there early because they sell out. There'll be lines, etc. I guess you're anticipating the same thing here with our coffee house. Oh, definitely. And Balkan Treat Box, it's been open for years, and there's still the crazy line. So I'd imagine that's how Telva is going to stay. Yeah, and for those of you who don't uh, have the time or patience to wait in Webster Groves and line, you can also get their food over at the soccer stadium, the Balkan Treat Box, correct? You can. Yeah. And See, I, just I know learned. some stuff. So what's exciting out there that uh, maybe people, a little off the beaten path that people uh, need to experience? So my favorite hidden gem is Tiny Chef, which is located in the Silver Lining Ballroom. Um, she is a Korean chef that just specializes in bibimbap, which is oh, yeah. oh, incredible. She makes by far the best in St. Louis. There's a lot of really good ones, but hers is my favorite. Um, and then she does different specials every single week. Last week, she did a Korean stew that I hate to admit the amount of times I went there last weekend alone. <laughs> just Perfect for this weather, incredible food. And on Monday nights at Silver Lining Ballroom, which is a dive bar um, in South City, they do free uh, pinball. Wow, so and bibimbap, that's the one that's got the egg on top of it. It does, yeah. yeah. Oh. And that's called the Tiny Chef Inside the Silver Lining Ballroom, so it's somebody who's cooking inside of the dive bar. Yes. How awesome is that? It, oh, it's amazing. And she's always on every list. Like, she's the hidden gem that you need to try. Okay. And you've got another uh, off-the-wall one for us? I do. Um, it's something that's new and exciting that is going to be happening in about two weeks. They just announced it this week. Um, did you all know that this is the Year of the Dragon? I did not know it was the Year of the Dragon. So That's over in China, Michael. Oh, yeah. Well, they have the dragon. <laughs> of course. There's going to be a big celebration um, put on by Kimchi Guys and Drunken Fish at the 610 North uh they're doing a feast of good fortune on February 9th. Mm. And so that was just announced. That's something I'm super excited about because I'm obsessed with the sushi from uh, Drunken Fish. Kimchi Guys is also incredible. Their fried chicken is to die for. Fried chicken? Yes. Fried chicken. Now you're talking, Lynn. Now Hancock's you're, you're, love you're language. Starting, you're starting to <laughs> get into sushi my, uh, stuff with blowing them to sleep, Whitney, <laughs> and all of a sudden you see fried chicken or burgers. His ears go up like a puppy dog. <laughs> Tell me, what, what's your favorite burger in town? Oh, Max Local Eats. Ditto. But Jack Nolan's man is hard to beat as well, correct? It is, but the dirty burger, I dream about it. Yes. It's so good. So it's on the side of the old arena, John. Right. And it's I've seen inside, it. what, the Drury Hotel or something? Yes. It's called Max Local Eats. The guy's a deadhead. Yeah. Um, everything's locally sourced. It's a burger joint. And I'm telling you, it is the best burger. For those of you who grew up with Chuck a Burger and Steak and Shake, it's that just upgraded about 10 times. It's wow. perfect smash burgers. Well, well, there you go. That sounds wonderful. Now, I could be I doing this to, blogging stuff if here. I wanted to get, <laughs> if I wanted to get the finest steak in town, Whitney, where would I go? I love Twisted Tree. Yes. It's so good. Yes. That's your place, too. Yeah. Is, it? Yeah. is that your favorite? Oh, well, it's on, it's on my list. Palmanos is probably my favorite. Uh, but Twisted Tree is quite good. It's outstanding. I've never had the steak at Palmano's. Wow. Did you get the lamb chops? I had the lamb yeah. chops. I've uh, had pasta. Everything pasta. there is so good, but I can't ever move past the lamb chops. So yeah. they've got they've got the Hancock meal at Palmano's where they take this the filet, medium rare, uh, they stuff it with the scallops and the lobster ravioli sauce in their appetizer, pour over the top of that sucker. It is amazing. 
Oh my gosh, little I know tip it. for you there, and healthy too. Yeah, it <laughs> <sounds> it. <laughs> hey, Whitney, this is something you do on the side. You have a regular job. What got you into being a blogger? So I was training for the New York Marathon on purpose. I don't know. I think somebody tricked me into it. They're like, <laughs> yeah. there's food involved. <laughs> uh-huh. And so I was training, and the only thing I liked about training was I could eat anything I wanted. And I would do these food crawls where I would stop at, like, four restaurants after I would do my, like, 20 miles. And I was friends with a couple of models, and so they don't eat, which was really neat because I got to eat all of their food, <laughs> too, and oh. just eat everything that I could find. I stopped running. I still keep eating. Yeah? You still hanging out with the models? <laughs> no, no. Well, St. Louis models, but they're all foodies. They all eat, right. unfortunately. All right. Let's give us those uh, websites again that people can follow you. And uh, how often do you post? Do you have a weekly post, et cetera? I post a couple times a week. Um, I am not going to inundate you with too much, but I do want to make sure that I keep sharing good content here in St. Louis. Um, and so um, Whitney in the City on Instagram, all one word, and then Whitney in the City on Facebook as well. It's as simple as that, Hancock. And, and so many tips and great ideas for dining out there. You're looking for stuff to do. Whitney in the City is the place to go. Whitney, thanks so much for your time and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. When we come back, the, the playoffs NFL are this insider. week. Our NFL insider checks in after his predictions of last week, and we'll get a little taste of what's coming up this weekend. That's next on KMOX. It's NFL Divisional Round action this weekend. Saturday, it's the Texans and Ravens beginning at 3, followed by the Packers and 49ers. And Sunday at 4, the Chiefs face the Bills. NFL playoff football this weekend. Hear the games here on your home for Chiefs football. KMOX. In the National Football League, the men in the trenches fighting with bare knuckles and bitter cold on the path to Super Bowl 58. And we are joined now by our NFL insider. He is from Chicago, Illinois. He's John Hancock. And if you were listening last week, you would have heard this. America's teams, the Cowboys and the Packers, the Green Jerry Bay World Packers. So I'm going to put the Cowboys on upset alert in Whoa. this game. Now, let me be clear, an upset alert. I think the Cowboys win this game, but I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Packers win, but I think the Cowboys, Mike McCarthy's facing off against his former team. I think they eke out a close, close win. Well, you kind of set us up for that one, John Hancock. Uh, You called the upset alert on the Cowboys. Uh, We got some games coming up this week, one of which uh, features the Kansas City Chiefs in Buffalo against the Bills. Yeah, it does. It does. And the Kansas City Chiefs, I had them last week over Miami. And if they win this weekend, they will have knocked off Buffalo out of the playoffs for three of the past four seasons. But look. The Bills had a 15% chance of making the playoffs after they lost to the Eagles in Week 12. Sean McDermott, their head coach, had some no-name zero try to assassinate his character and get him fired by releasing a hit piece during that losing streak. They were saying the window's closed. It's over. Josh Allen couldn't get it done. They say it for a reason. Nobody circles the wagon like the Buffalo Bills, and it's time to exercise their demons of the past. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites. Take the points. Buffalo by double digits. They're sending Kelsey into retirement. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are going to be moping off the field. It's Josh Allen's time. Lock it in. Bills by two scores. 
Wow, you're listening to the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs right here in St. Louis. And <laughs> Got to call NFL, balls and strikes. NRFL insider, he calls balls and strikes. He says the Bills will win by double digits. Wow, that's big. But the games start on Saturday uh, at 3.30. The Houston Texans take on the Baltimore Ravens. What say you, Mr. Insider? Yeah, so I'm using my upset alert on this game this week. Again, I assume the Ravens will win, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Texans pull it off. This is a legacy-defining game, potentially, for Lamar Jackson. He has a you know lower playoff passer rating and a worse touchdown-to-interception ratio than Jeff Garcia. Uh, so this is a big game for him. They have the number one seed in a year that's probably their best chance to win that conference. It's a down year for the Chiefs' offense. There's no Joe Burrow, and the Bills have been up and down all year. If they they need to win this game, and it will be a legacy-defining loss for Lamar Jackson, unfortunately, if he loses. Wow. How about that? And then the other number one seed in the NFC is the uh, San Francisco 49ers against the red-hot Green Bay Packers. How do you see it? They are red-hot, and the Packers, I, I think the run ends here for them. Uh, I don't see how they're going to stop a healthy Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, as long as Brock Purdy can be comfortable and you know play with the lead or keep the game close. I think the 49ers likely roll in this one. But if the Packers get off to an early lead, we may see the wheels fall off for Brock Purdy and things could get interesting. But with that whole team healthy, I think the 49ers easily, easily take this one. And the team that has captured the hearts of most of them <laughs> Americans simply because they've been the lovable losers for so long, the Detroit Lions take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is helmed by one of your favorite players, otherwise known as the fraud Baker Mayfield. Yeah, you know, I have to give a begrudging congratulations to Baker Mayfield. He beat the fraud <laughs> allegations last week, but the clock striking midnight here in Detroit, I don't see how they're going to go in there. Dan Campbell has that team fired up. The fans are fired up. They've been starved, starved for playoff football in Detroit, got their first win in my lifetime which was you know crazy to see. I picked the Rams in that game, but obviously happy the Lions got the win. Anytime Stan Kroenke loses, it's a great day for America. But I think the Lions in that offense with Jared Goff, they're going to keep keep it rolling. They're going to force Baker uh, to you know make some big plays, which to his credit, he did last week. But this guy, if he was consistent, he'd still be in Cleveland, for, and he, he's in Tampa on fourth, his fourth team in three years for a reason. So our uh... – Divisional match. I'm, I'm sorry. Our conference championship matchups then after this weekend are who? I have the Detroit Lions heading down to Santa Clara to take on the 49ers in what should be a great game. And then I have the Buffalo Bills going to Baltimore for the AFC championship. But there's a chance that Buffalo is hosting Houston. Well, there you have it, folks. He's our NFL insider, and uh, I don't know that I would bet accordingly, but, uh, you know, he, he oh, did. So la last week, last week, I told the Monday evening listeners to responsibly, responsibly put the mortgage on the Bills minus 10, and it hit. It did hit. It did <laughs> hit. You, and, you, and you called the Cowboys uh, as the fold of the week. John Hancock, thanks so much. Have yourself a good weekend. Thank you.
You guys do. All right. We'll be watching some football, Michael. I can't wait for it. And people can hear us on Monday night. We'll recap the games. We'll have our NFL insider. That's from 8 to 10 Monday night. And don't forget, you can see Hancock and Kelly, the television show, on Sunday morning at Fox 2 here in St. Louis. Andy Banker sits between us. He just won the Bob Hardy Award over in Southern Illinois. Our good pal Andy. Can't wait to congratulate him. Hey, we're going to stick around with Amy and Chris. Chris and Amy. Amy's in town. Uh, There's something you don't see every day. And it's the Chris and Amy Show coming your way. Thanks to James O'Sullivan and Frank Ladd. He's Michael Kelly. I'm John Hancock. It's Camo X.